0: Had a good uh, Thanksgiving holiday with your families if you're able to be with them. As you all know, Christmas is coming up very, very quickly, and it's already the first Sunday in December, which is actually uh, the first Sunday in Advent. Now we don't we don't follow the liturgical calendar here, but you know Advent is is a time when we begin to prepare our hearts for Christmas, when we begin to think about the coming season. And so, what I want to do today is I want to I want to talk a little bit about preparing for the King preparing for the king. We're going to be in the New Testament book of Luke, so go ahead and be headed there if, if you've not already done so. And we're going to be in Luke chapters 1 and chapter 3. And who we're going to look at today is John the Baptist. Of course, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that John the Baptist was a cousin of Christ. He, he went out before Jesus, and, and he was and he was a little bit older than him. And he went out before him and he preached. And he began to, to preach the gospel and prepare people for the coming Kingdom of God. And, and as we think about preparing for the King, about preparing for Christmas, I want you to just think about your own life. How do you prepare for Christmas? How do you prepare for Christmas? You probably have some sort of uh, a Christmas tradition. You know, you put up Christmas lights, you put up the Christmas tree. A lot of people, the way they prepare for Christmas is, is by shopping. They they take part in uh, Brown Thursday. Did you know that was a new thing? Uh, of course, everybody is. Uh, a lot of the stores are opening up on Thanksgiving Day. It, it has the name Brown Thursday, uh, Black Friday, Small Business Saturday. I don't think there's anything today. Cyber Monday. I mean, we we've so commercialized Christmas, and there's so many things that distract us and and draw our attention away from Christmas and what it really means. But that I think we need to make a concerted effort to refocus. On Christ, because that's really what Christmas is about. Now, when Christ first came, uh, you know the the situation that he came into was was pretty bad. And John the Baptist went before him and began to prepare the people and and to help them to do that themselves. And and so by the time Christ came onto the scene, some people were prepared for his arrival. So as we enter this Christmas season, I want us to look at what John the Baptist did, what he said, and uh, and see what we can learn about preparing for Christmas ourselves. So if you would, let's let's stand as we read God's Word. We're going to pick up in Luke chapter 1, and we're just going to read one verse, uh, verse 17, and then we're going to turn over to chapter 3 and read just a few verses out of that. So Luke chapter 1, verse 17, speaking of John the Baptist, it says, "...it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah." To turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now that's the key phrase we're going to focus on in just a little bit. A people prepared for the Lord. Turn the page over to uh, chapter 3, and we're going to pick up in verse 3. This again, speaking of John the Baptist, it says, And he came into all the district around the Jordan. Preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every ravine will be filled, and every mountain will be brought low. The curtain will become straight, and the rough road smooth. And all flesh will see the salvation of God. So he began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers! How's that for seeker-sensitive right there? You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees, so every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds were questioning him, saying, Then what shall we do? And he would answer and say to them, The man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and he who has food is to do likewise. And some tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to. Some soldiers were questioning him, saying, And what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force, or accuse anyone falsely, but be content with your wages. Now while the people were in a state of expectation and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ, John answered and said to them all, As for me, I baptize you with water. But one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather up the wheat into his barn. But he will burn the chaff, with unquenchable fire. Thank you. you. may be seated. Now, as we look at, at um, Luke chapter 1 and verse 17, um, I think that's really the key to what happens in chapter 3. Because uh, John the Baptist helped prepare the way for the coming king. And there's a uh, very significant detail in verse 17 I, I want to point out. Because there are two phrases here that, that are extremely important. The first is that that phrase, make ready. Now, in the Greek, that's a single Greek word that has the idea of making an adjustment. Uh, It it speaks of an internal fitness. And then when he talks about prepared, that's a Greek word that has the idea of being thoroughly prepared. It's not halfway done. It's a thorough preparation. So what this is saying in verse 17 is John's ministry is to help people be thoroughly prepared inwardly for the coming King. He was to help them be thoroughly prepared inwardly for the coming King. Now that's the same message that we have today because because Christmas is a time when, when we celebrate Christ's birth, when we celebrate His coming to earth, and when we prepare for it, we need to understand it's not an outward thing. When we prepare we need to prepare our hearts. Now, now we, we, we need to understand that preparation for Christmas... Now, uh, am I saying that shopping bad? No. Am I saying that putting up a tree and, and stuff like that is bad? No. But we need to understand that preparing for Christmas does not consist of putting out an Advent wreath or putting up lights or reading selected texts or decorating the church or your home or any of those things. When we, when we prepare for Christmas, it must be an internal issue. We have to prepare our hearts. So as we begin to think about this, that's, that's, the, that's the first key. Preparation for Christmas is an internal thing. So how do we prepare? Well, chapter 3, the the, the verses that we read speak about this. The first thing that that we need to do to prepare our hearts for Christmas is in verses 3 and 8. There's a common theme or a common word in there. To prepare our hearts for the king, we need to repent. We need to repent. Scarlet Love's Hallmark. I can't stand it. She loves Hallmark. She loves Hallmark cards. She especially loves their ornaments. And so consequently, I've shopped a bit at Hallmark. And all these cards that I've seen, I've never once seen a Hallmark card that said, Merry Christmas, you need to repent. That's not a greeting card sentiment. If I ever, maybe I should get one, maybe I should come up with one, and I could write for Hallmark, and it would be biblical. But you know what? We don't, that's, that's just not on our radar when we think about Christmas. But it's a very biblical idea. You'll notice this theme in, in verses 3 and 8. Look again at what they say. Verse 3 talks about a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And verse 8 again mentions repentance. So John's message is primarily one of repentance. What does it mean to repent? Well, to repent means that We turn. If if you're if you're familiar with the military, it's an about face. You're headed one direction towards sin, and when you repent, you turn from sin and you turn the opposite direction, so you turn necessarily from sin to God. Now you may notice verse three talks about a baptism and repentance and forgiveness and and all these things are kind of linked up together. Now some people have misunderstood this to think that baptism somehow contributes to forgiveness that you're not truly forgiven, you're not truly saved unless you're baptized. That's really a misunderstanding. And I could go into some of the details of the Greek in here, but I'm not too good at Greek. So I'll I'll reference Matthew chapter 3 and verse 6 because uh, that that really explains it better. And, And Matthew 3, 6 is talking about the same thing. And it says, And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. See, that's the key forgiveness happened not when they were baptized forgiveness happened when they confessed their sins when they repented of their sins and then when they got baptized that was an outward sign of what happened in their hearts it showed that they were dying to their old way of life Now Paul of course develops this a lot more fully as and he talks about how it's like being buried with Christ and stuff like that but this is a very early thing baptism does not save us it just shows that we have been saved we're saved we're forgiven of our sins. When we repent. Now why should we repent? Well, if you'll notice verses seven to nine and and even that last verse that we read, verse seventeen, our sin deserves judgment. Therefore we need to repent. Now, this is primarily a message to people who are not Christians. Now I'm not talking about Christian in the sense of the word that, you know, we say, Well, I'm an American, therefore I'm a Christian. That's not that's not being a Christian. Being a Christian means that we have repented of our sins, we've turned from our sins, we've turned to God, we put our faith in Christ to save us. That's what being a Christian is. It means that we're a follower of Christ. And this is a message primarily for people who are not Christians, people who have never done that. See, we have to realize that our sin, that we have sinned, we have fallen short of the glory of God. We have violated God's command. And that, that's called sin, and that sin deserves punishment. Now, you can deny it, you can reject it, you can can ignore it for so long that you don't feel guilty anymore. But somewhere down the road, you knew, and you probably still know, that you deserve God's wrath. You know that you're guilty. And the way to miss that wrath, as John the Baptist says here, is by repenting. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus and be saved. And if you've never done that, that, today's the day that you need to do it. But there's also a message in here for believers. Isn't it nice that we can say, Oh, you unbelievers, turn or burn. And then we say, Oh, I'm, I'm safe on this one. No, there's a message in here for us too. And the message is still the same. We need to repent. Now, if you're truly a Christian, you cannot break your relationship with the Lord with your sin. But, buddy, you can, you can break your fellowship with Him. You know, Jesse, sometimes, I love her to death. Sometimes she makes me mad she does something wrong, and I'll be so mad at her, she's still my daughter. But there's a problem in between us now. We're crossed with each other. In the same way with God, if if you're a Christian and you sin, you'll still be his child, but there's a problem between you. And and what we need to do, if we sin, we need to repent. We don't need to get saved again. That's how we became a, a child of God to begin with. Instead, we need to wash our feet, so to speak. Now, that's kind of a weird, weird phrase to wash our feet, but I just want you to think—it's a very biblical idea. In the upper room, you remember Jesus right before, um, uh, right before he went to the cross. He was up there with the disciples, and he washed their feet. Now he made it clear that what he was doing was more than than just about um, getting dust off their feet. It was about service, and it was about salvation. So he washed their feet, and I love Peter because he never got it right, and I never get it right either. And you remember what he said? He said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you've got no part with me. And he says, he goes from one extreme to the other, well, don't just wash my feet and wash my head and my hands too. Give me a whole touch-up. And Jesus says, if if the one who is bathed, uh, well, he says, the one who is bathed is completely clean, and only needs to wash his feet. And you are clean, but not all of you. He's talking about Judas there. In other words, when we come to saving faith in Christ, when we get saved, we're washed. We're made completely clean. But at times we sin, and our feet get dirty. And we need to, we need to wash, and we need that forgiveness. We need to repent. John said in, in 1 John, he said, I've written these things that you might not sin, but when you do sin know that you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He says He's a propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but He's a propitiation for the sins of the whole world. And then He goes on to say that if we sin, if we'll confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if, as we prepare our hearts for Christ, if you're not a believer, you need to repent. You need to get saved. If you are a believer... You need to examine your heart and, and to, to use a phrase that might, or an image that might be more familiar to us than washing feet, you need to clean house. You need to sweep out the old leaven. You need to get right with God. Say, okay, Pastor, let's say I've done that. What difference is it going to make? Should I just say, yeah, I'm a Christian and just go on living the way I always have? Well, some people asked John, if, if you remember in... Uh, in verses 10 and following, what is this going to look like? What changes will be made if I repent? Now you'll notice in, in verses uh, 11 and, and, and going on down, he deals with three different groups of people. And each time, he gave them something specific that would be changing about their life, that would be specific to them and, uh, and their profession. Now first he talks about, in verse 11, the common man. Now at the time, this is what we might today call a peasant. They were poor. They didn't have two nickels to rub together. And he said to them in verse 11, The man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and he who has food is to do likewise. Now, that's pretty easy to understand, isn't it? That's black and white. If you've got a surplus, see somebody that doesn't have enough, share with them. That's pretty simple. Now, a tunic, you say, what's a tunic? A tunic wasn't an, an inner garment. It wasn't the, the big, long, flowing robe that you saw on the outside. It was one that was worn under that. And you only need to wear one at a time. So if you had two, you had more than enough. And if you have more than enough, he says, find the person who doesn't have any and give it to them. If you have more than enough food, give it to the person who doesn't have enough food. You know, that sounds a lot like this verse out of Leviticus. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is keeping the law. Now the New Testament takes the idea and it expands it. Paul said, "If if you love your neighbor as yourself, you fulfill the whole law. All the all the all the Torah, all the prophets, all of it. You it's summed up in this one command. But then the the New Testament in First Timothy, Paul says, instruct those who are rich in this present world, not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. James chapter 2. Ladies, you just got through doing James, so you should know this. Do you remember what he says? He says, uh, uh, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to him, Go in peace. Be warmed and be filled. And yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. In other words, if you have truly repented, if you are truly a Christian, it's going to show in the way you live. It's going to come out in the way you treat people. It's going to come out, and and you see somebody less fortunate, what are you going to do? Are you going to say, oh, brother, I'm praying for you. See you. Or you're going to say, Brother, I'll pray for you, and here's how I'm going to help you. I see that you're hungry. Here's some food. It's helping somebody. It's loving your neighbor in a very real and tangible way. It's not just saying the words. Then in verse 3, he talks to some tax collectors. Some tax collectors also came to be baptized by him. Verse 12, saying to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you've been ordered to. Now, nobody likes tax collectors, right? Nobody likes the IRS. They didn't like them back then. They liked them back then even less than we like the IRS today because the Romans were the enemy, and they came in and they t- took over the Jews. And what the, the Romans would do is they said, we're going to tax you, and we're going to farm out the tax collection privilege. And so some Jews said, oh, well, I'll do it. Some unscrupulous guys, they'll say, I'll, I'll collect money for my, my people to give to the enemy. And the Romans said, okay, here's how much we need. Now, you can ask whatever you want from them. Now, I don't care what you do with the rest, but you just give us what we ask for. And so that's what tax collectors did. Levi, well, also know him as Matthew. Zacchaeus, they were tax collectors. And so what they would do is they would go to people and say, Rome wants this amount of money. Let's say Rome wants $2. They'd say, Rome wants 10 Ooh, man, that's high. And, boy, you grumble the whole time you're paying it. You give them the $10. They give Rome two; they keep keep the other eight. So not only were they working for the enemy, but they were getting rich from putting their their brethren in poverty. So nobody liked them. And I noticed that that John here he doesn't say, "If you want to, if you truly repent, you'll not be a tax collector anymore." He doesn't say that. What does he say? Thou shalt not steal. That made it to the top ten somewhere, didn't it? I think it's one of God's top ten. Thou shalt not steal. He doesn't say don't be a, a tax collector. He said don't take any more unless you have to. Show integrity in your life. Man, that's that's a message for today. If you're if you're a Christian, you need to have integrity. You need to be uh, you need to be showing it in the way that you live. Do your job honestly. And finally, some soldiers came to him, and uh, in, in verse 14, some soldiers were questioning him, saying, "And what about us? What shall we do?" He said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely, and be content with your wages. And we don't know who the soldiers were. They could have been Roman soldiers. That's, I think that's probably who they were. There was an outpost nearby, and John's making kind of a big commotion. Everybody's going out to see him. I think they were out there hearing what he was saying to make sure something wasn't getting started. They could have been Romans. They could have been uh, Jewish soldiers who acted as police. Uh, they could have been military who went with tax collectors to enforce the taxation. If I came up to you and I said, give me $10, dollars you say, no. Well, if I'm not tougher than you, I don't get the 10 bucks. But guess what? If I have Bubba and I have Joe Bob, his brother, and they're both big hulking military men, I'd say, give us the money. And if you don't, I'll put my guys on you. So they would go out sometimes. They'd do kind of a shakedown. And they get the money from them, whether they wanted to give it or not. So when he, when these soldiers come, they say, what about us? What, what should we do? Notice John doesn't say, get out of the military. There are Christians today who say, you cannot be a Christian and be in in military service. That's what they say. But John, if, if John ever had an opportunity to say, don't do it, this is it. But he doesn't say, get out of the military. He just says, do your job the way you're supposed to. Don't steal don't bear false witness. Again, keep the commandments. Now what they would do is they would extort money from people. They'd use intimidation. They would use force to get the money from them. If they couldn't do that, they'd bring false charges, accuse them of crimes, take their property, blackmail. They'd do all sorts of stuff to get that money. And John says, if you've been doing that stuff, you need to stop. If your repentance is real, it's going to result in a changed life. Now, if I were to ask each of you, have you repented, many of us would probably say, yeah, I've done that. Not everybody, but many of us. What well, did James say? He'd say, the proof is in the pudding. If you, have, if you have faith, you ought to have works. If you've repented, it's going to show in your life. What, what did John say? Look at verse 8. Therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. That means if, you've, if you have a change of heart, you're going to have a change of life. And I challenge you to do each of these things. Prepare your heart for the king. It's it's an inward preparation. It's not going to the store. It's not coming to church even. Now, I want you to come to church. But you know what? That's not going to get you right with God. It's an inward preparation. If you're not a Christian, if you've never turned your life over to Christ, again, today's the day to do that. Repent. If you are a Christian, wash your feet. Repent of your sins. Give that forgiveness. Put your faith into action. Don't just say words. Talk is cheap. Put it into action. Now, if you look at verse 15, it says that the people were all in anticipation. They were living in expectancy. They were awaiting the Messiah. Now, we're not awaiting the Messiah because in our point in history, we look back on the coming of the Messiah. So we're not looking ahead to it. But I do challenge you to, 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 have that expectancy, to experience the Savior afresh, because we, many of us, we've we celebrated Christmas so many times, and it's it's just routine, right? We all have our traditions. We get up at this time. We have this meal. Uh, you know, we open these presents in this order. You know, we do the, you know, whatever it is. We all have our traditions. That's not preparing for Christmas. Have that expectancy that you're going to experience Christ. Make Christmas about Christ again. That's the reason we celebrate. So I ask you, what is it that you need to do to prepare your heart today? Do you need to ask God to forgive you for something? Maybe something you did this morning. Maybe something that you did this weekend. You know, you get a bunch of family together that's only together once or twice a year. There's bound to be some sort of friction. Maybe you need to ask forgiveness about something there. Maybe you've not been living with integrity. You've not been doing your job honestly. You've not been putting your faith into actions. You've been content to sit on the pew, to sit on the seat, and say, I'm going to church. That's good enough. That's not good enough. That's not what Christ saved you for. He didn't save you to sit, He saved you to serve.